Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon, and I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ilah, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. RZ Weekly, our weekly podcast about religious Zionism and modern orthodoxy in Israel, in the world, and beyond. Uh, my name is Ruben Spolter. I'm here with Rav Johnny Solomon. Hello, Rav Johnny. Hello, hello. Hello. He, he like, says it so, so softly, so gently. Okay. And Rabbanit Mali Bravsky. How are you, Rabbanit Mali Bravsky? I am doing well. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, if you're new to our podcast and want to know more about us, I don't know, look us up on the internet. We're, we're very busy. We got it. Molly's got Mincha to dive in. No time for bios. Maybe next, <laughs> next week, two weeks from now. Uh, Johnny, will you be bringing chametz into a hospital over the holiday of Pesach in Israel this year? Only sick chametz. What's that? I'm sorry? Uh, only sick chametz. I think that's, I think that's <laughs> what we've been told to say. Only chametz that needs, needs to be hospitalized. Meaning, oh, I see. So if it's like, if it's what, what if a dog would what if a dog wouldn't eat it? Then then would you bring it in? I, well, of course, I am joking and referring to the brouhaha that that arose today, literally today. I mean, it's an ongoing brouhaha. But the idea of chametz on Pesach, the idea that uh, Minister of Health Nissan Horowitz, he instructed the hospital sends a letter to the hospitals in Israel, telling them not to enforce the rabbinate's I don't know ban edict request that when people enter hospitals on Pesach, that they should be checked for chametz. Maybe they are carrying in their bags either a weapon or contraband chametz. So that they, they, when you would walk into a hospital, the, the, uh, the guard would say, are you carrying any chametz? Which, I mean, us uh, Shomei Torah found it endearing. So apparently somebody didn't find it so endearing, and they sued, to the, they sued in the Bagats in the Supreme Court. And Israel Supreme Court said, you, didn't have the right to, um, you don't have the right to uh, search people for chametz. Uh, when they enter a hospital, there is some kind of freedom of uh, personal expression. And Nissan Horowitz, the current health minister, who is a lightning rod of a figure in and of itself for other reasons we won't get into, sent a letter to the hospitals telling them, please do not enforce this rule, etc., etc. This caused a brouhaha, a firestorm in the government. And today, as we are speaking, uh, Edith Silman from Yamina, she is from Naftali Bennett's party and was the chairman, the head of the Knesset, Yoshevet Rosha Knesset. She sent a letter to Naftali Bennett saying, I am out. I just can't do it anymore. You're abandoning Jewish values. This is terrible and ridiculous. Now, I personally, all of the commentators that I, that I have listened to today said, it's not about Chametz. She's been working on the deal for weeks. 
But what I find fascinating is that Bennett forgot that issues of religion and state are always lightning rods, and that if indeed someone was looking for an excuse, Chametz on Pesach is the perfect one. So that's why, Johnny, we're not going to talk about this. It's not one our second, topic. But one second. I, I, again, I'm, I'm no political commentator. Right. We're not, I mean, I, I, it's I not just, a political I thing. I do want to reframe. It's not, it's not about Chametz. It's not, you're claiming it's not just about Chametz. Meaning she's taking a moral stance. Her conscience is speaking. But this is the last straw. That's how I understand it. Um, I don't even know about that. Uh, but whatever, fine. Meaning a lot of people, it, I believe that there are things like you that are mahuti. If she wanted to take a moral stand about things that are against her values, against Nisin, against uh, Minister Horowitz, there are many things she could have done that, got the religious, that gets the religious community up in arms, uh, but she chose not to. And instead, she chose to make it about Chametz on Pesach. And I think that's because there's almost, there's, there's almost near unanimity about Chametz on Pesach. It's so easy. Meaning, like, yes, I'm in fa- who's in favor of Chametz on Pesach? Molly, you have anything to add, or you just want to let no, it go? Just, uh, the only, no, because we weren't planning on talking about this. The only reason I, I, I'm just pointing out to our listeners, the only reason we're kind of mentioning this at the beginning of our podcast is because it has affected the shape of the government and who the heck knows what's going to be, which is why it's it's relevant and important and why you're raising it. And you're bringing, like, kind of an ideological perspective, which I think is true. The only thing I'll add is that, like, it, it gets very – I agree with you that um, I think that the, the country shines best when – Things aren't mandated, and they're just they just happen naturally, right? And the question is like, what happens when you start to mandate things? Like my goal, I, as I might have said before, you know, I don't think there's any barely, probably. Yet, I don't. I wonder what the percentages of houses that don't have a seder on Pesach night in Israel, don't have a mezuzah on the door, um, things like that. Even Brit Milah. What would happen if you made a law that you had to have a seder, you had to have a mezuzah, you had to have a Brit Milah? Like all of a sudden, once you mix religion and politics. It's a double-edged sword. Not quite sure how to deal with it. We've we've had conversations about this issue before. I think it's it, I, I you know, and I think the fact that you're raising it just shows how you know th- th- this is a very sticky issue that has a lot of sides and a lot of facets. And um, this is not the first time it will rear its head. It won't be the last time, and I'm sure we'll have another opportunity. Right. The re- actually, I'm, I'm, I don't want to keep caught you off guard. The reason I brought it up, a, because it's almost Pesach, and you know, we're in our pre-Pesach. Also, it the government. Like it literally affects the government. But it does not have a coalition without her. Right. No, it kills the government. But what's more interesting to me is like I heard an interview with Haley Trupper yesterday, a minister of Knesset who's from a more liberal party, but he's religious. He's, he's religious, and he's like, "What is the big deal?" Like, stop asking people what they do. And most people are just respectful. It's not like they go into, like, they take out their Big Mac on Pesach in front of everyone. And, like, that was your, that's really the perspective that you said. My point is that it it serves as a lightning rod in the the public sense. Meaning it's so easy to rile people up about religion in Israel and to use it as an excuse, even if it's not really the real excuse. And that, that's what I'm saying. And that's what's so interesting, interesting. about it's life in Israel. It's a good point. It's like if all she wanted to do was leave and become Netanyahu's whatever she wants to become, she chose, she chose a good topic. That's basically Right. What that's my saying. Okay. Yeah. On to our main topic. Our main topic today is a, is a panel in the recent 929 conference that caused a tremendous brouhaha in the Jewish state. <laughs> Anything causes a tremendous brouhaha in the Jewish state, but... This panel was particularly bruhaha-ish. I don't even know if that's a word, but bruhaha-i, bruhaha, I don't know, whatever. I don't think there is a word. I don't think. Uh, well, we just made one up. To, okay. That's right. Um, um, and, and uh, of course, I'm, uh, the, the 929 initiative is an initiative started by Rabbi Benny Lau, uh, among others, in order to encourage 
many, many people to study Tanakh. 929 is the number of chapters in the Tanakh, 929 chapters. It takes 929 days if you do a chapter a day. And this was a conference that marked the, the end of the third, uh, the third go around, the second go around. I think it's the third go around. Yeah, the third. And so, uh, and one of the, one of the, um, of the panels during this day, during this conference, was a panel on the, the, the fact that the Tanakh is the book of the, of, of, of the, of the major religions. And it included a, a rabbi, Rabbi Yuval Sherlow, included a, a priest, included a, um, an imam. But that really didn't get people up in arms. What got people up in arms was it was chaired by a very, very well-known uh, media personality and television presenter named Lucy Arish. And the reason why Lucy Arish is well-known is, well, she was a popular presenter, and she's pretty well-known in the Israeli uh, world, people who watch the media. But she was, I'm going to say it in quotes, I'm putting up air quotes for people watching on Channel 8. Okay, in air quotes, she was outed uh, a number of years ago because she, she, married, she is married to a uh, Jewish man. She's married to another media personality. And so the Bruaha began because uh, many people, many people, even I would say among the mainstream of the religious Zionist community, found it incredibly problematic that the, the moderator on a panel of Tanakh would be someone who's married to a, a non-Jew who's married to a Jew, who's i.e. intermarried. And... Uh, this caused tremendous bruhaha, tremendous uh, discussion on the on social media, especially Hebrew. It really didn't make its way to, I guess, the English Twitter sphere or Facebook sphere nearly as much as in the Hebrew, which is, I think, why it's relevant for us to discuss. So I'm going to ask Molly to take it over from here. Uh, give us your impressions of the bruhaha, and then uh, you know share the information as you wish, and then uh, we'll discuss. can't hear me and now I can hear you okay can hear me. okay so I, I mean I have like scattered thoughts I'll tell you what my scattered thoughts are I was expecting a leading question that would help me organize my thoughts better. you hate my leading questions because I know, you know I, them. I know it's, fair enough fair <laughs> enough but I'll, I'll say the following I'll Molly say, is Rabeni Lau a terrible person for inviting <laughs> Lucy Arish <laughs> okay there you go okay um, so I, I'll say the following first of all I think um here are my thoughts I feel I, I, I sort of feel I feel bad is not the right way to say it, but but poor Lucy Irish kind of got sucked into this, um, and it's not about her, and nobody thinks it's about her. She became a symbol for something, and one of the things that many people argue is, you know, there are plenty of intermarried Jews that have been on um, educational panels, religious panels, Idan Reichel and Gadi Taub, and there's a, there, there's a list of them. I think maybe Yoram Gaon. Um, people don't know who these are. These are well-known Israeli figures who, who um, some of them are, are active in kind of bridging the gap between religion and secular. And, and nobody has ever brought up the fact that they're intermarried as a, as a reason for them not to be part of this conversation. Um, so what happened here, I think, was some sort of an unfortunate perfect storm. First of all, the difference... Unfortunate between, for her. I mean, unfortunate for her? Right. Unfortunate for her... And, and, Okay, unfortunate for her, and also like storms are always have, they maybe they're they're unpleasant when they happen. Yeah, you know, you're making an interesting point, which is maybe, maybe sometimes they have to happen because then when they're done, things are clearer. 
But but Lucy Irish is different, I think, than all those other people because she has actually, first of all, she, she whether she liked it or not, as you said, she was like sort of, it, it doesn't even matter who did it. It was like a, I gotta tell you who it was. It was Oren Chazan a couple years ago who came out. I forgot what the context was where he was like, Lucy Irish. The context was when she got married. Yes, she when got she married got married. In 2018 that's correct. She, she was living with Levy. Levy. She was living with him for many years very quietly. And then she got married. And Oren Chazan, who was never the most um, dignified, um, or diplomatic, or diplomatic, or, or, or refined. Or refined. Again, just Other another reason. example of people using religion to make points in politics. Yes, yes. Well, he would use anything to make, get himself. But he, wasn't he the guy who took a selfie with what? what doesn't matter. With Trump, yeah, he took a selfie with Trump. Trump that guy is he still in the Knesset? What's that? Guy? I, no, I, I think he, he. No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> anyway, that shows you the kind of guy he is. Like he would do anything for 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 fifteen minutes of fame. Um, and he kind of created a, a drama around her. Now, the, the difference... Well, one could argue her, that anyone in the public sphere would do anything for 15 minutes of fame. Later, That's I'm the world saying, in which we not, live. He's not, he's not one of the most, in my personal, you know, top 15 most respectful, respectable Israeli figures, okay? So, so he, he said this. <laughs> he's, he's counting off. Um, I want to know who number 14 is. <laughs> he's on the top of the 15. Okay, anyway. Um, and... The, the, the difference between her and some of the other people I mentioned is that she, she basically then said, yes, I am loud and proud, right? Meaning I am intermarried and that's part of my liberalism. She's also Arab. Do we ever, do we mention that she was Arab? Um, and again, it, it, her, the fact that she's Arab, I think always made her a symbol of Arab Israeli uh, or Arab Jewish Israeli um, interactions in a very positive way. And, and I think in that way, she, she, she's a very positive figure. But this piece of it, the intermarriage piece, I think that, again, she has every right to her position. But because she kind of isn't just another intermarried person, but because she became the symbol of the people who, are, who believe in intermarriage as part of the democratization of Israeli society, I think that's what makes her a flashpoint in particular. Now, so other- let me just paraphrase. To Jews, she's a lightning rod in a sense. Because on the one hand, she represents everything about about our positive relationship with the Arab yes. community and integration. But at the same time, we're like, yes, of course, we want you to have a great job and integrate with us, but we don't want to marry you. We don't want you to marry our sons. We, we just don't want that. Right. Unless you're a left-wing, liberal, democratic, progressive who says, that's so beautiful. Correct. Okay. So I think, now, the next thing you said, I think, is also true, because what you basically said was that, based, I think that what this also kind of clarifies is that there's a group of rabbinic and public leaders who are identified with, I'd say, moderation, tolerance, discourse, right? And who felt that this was a bridge too far. And I think that what this exposed, and they were basically saying, you know what, I'm allowed to have my red lines, right? Some Aviyah Kohen, Rav Aviyah Kohen, Rav Aviyah Kohen, other people, I think Rabbi Brandis even came out, meaning people who said like, and who were uncomfortable saying, this is a bridge too far, right? These are people who had a very hard time saying this is a bridge too far because these are people who, in general, people who were writing for 929, people who were part, who in general you are identified with the rabbinic establishment that is not the, um, I don't want to, I don't like the words right and left in this because I think we're not talking, we're not, you know, like, they, they don't, it doesn't map over Israeli and American. But, but again, I'll use the words more tolerant, um, less less insular. Um, I think those are fair enough words. And what, what they were saying was, one second, this for us is a red line. 
And I think that that shows something quite interesting about Israeli society, which is that I, I think that um, Israeli society, or I would say the Dati Lumi world, right? This is something that we've talked about a lot on this podcast, which is that the world of, of, of the, the national religious camp, in a way, is a very, very big tent, and it hasn't bifurcated itself into mini tents, which has a lot of strength to it, right? And I think that's kind of wonderful, but at the same time, with sometimes can happen is let's say somebody is farther and again now i'll use the word just because i can't have another word farther to the left than somebody else and he asks that person to participate in his organization so in america every certainly in this world in the more liberal left world you know center left people think 15 times about what what is this going to say about me politically if i speak for this person's organization right and in israel in in the dati lumi world that doesn't really happen, or it hasn't really happened until now. Everybody's like, it's Torah, I'll speak, I'll, I'll say what I want. But this made people realize, wait a second, wait a second, I can't do that. Because what's what's going to happen is that I'm going to start becoming identified with positions that I don't feel comfortable with. And so people are starting to wake up and say, you know, on the one hand, I do want to be part of this this tolerant tent. On the other hand, I do also want to say that it's okay that, that I have a line. This is my line. And I'm, I'm comfortable saying, for me, you have crossed the line. And the last point I want to make, and this really will be the last point, which is for me, this raised a, the to- it harkens back to the topic we discussed last, uh, you know, a couple of Wait, wait, Molly, you didn't go to the core issue. Do you think one it's second. a problem? Okay, one second. So this is so so that I, now I will obliquely address that issue. Obliquely, um, <laughs> okay. I'll tell you why it's obliquely. In a second, but the question of she like, asked you to ask it's a direct question, and she's gonna. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Okay, um, like the, the whole question of like how you learn and how you teach Torah, right? Which is which is interesting, right? Meaning, like like the larger question of nine two nine. I found it interesting that that Machalat Herzog, for example didn't participate in the larger 929. They created their own parallel 929 on their on their website. And, and again, what does this have to do with? Remember our conversation about TikTok Torah? So to me, it's a similar conversation, which is the ability to say, you want to learn Torah however you want. You want to teach Torah however you want. I'm, again, I'm not the Torah police. I'm not going to tell anybody else how they want to learn Torah. But I, I am going to talk about how I'm comfortable learning and teaching Torah. And people, I think, recognizing that it's legitimate to say, I'm going to draw lines about around the way I want my Torah to be disseminated what platforms I want to put it on and what the environment is. And again, the example for that would be Michal Herzog having its own 929. And a couple of people who have said now, um, if this is what 929 is, you know, like I wrote for 929 all in goodwill. I've read a couple of Facebook posts of people who have said that. And I'm not going to do it anymore. And I think that ability to say, A, like the sociological piece about with all the goodwill, we have a right to make lines and hold lines and define where we stand. And the other interesting question about Torah is for everybody and and everybody can teach Torah however they want and we're not going to tell people to not learn Torah, but I, I a, a teacher, right? Again, whether it's Avia Kohen or Ruben Gaffney or, or anybody else, I still feel like I want my Torah to, to be, or even Amnon Bazak when he talked about 929 in general and a really nice piece about this, I, I, when my Torah is going to be taught with a certain type of um, dignity, respect, Yerat Shamaim, um, certain values, and, 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 and I, 
I, I feel they're saying I own, I feel comfortable I, I, for, for the sake of Torah, I feel comfortable only teaching Torah in that way. Now, as to the question of what I think about Lucy Irish on that panel, I'm going to say I do not know because on the one hand, I, nah, I'm not going to get you off so easy. Right, I'll tell, okay, so, and then I feel like I'm <laughs> talking way too long and we have to hear Johnny. Um, I would say like my general Natiya would be like, I, I don't like censoring people and like she's a wonderful person and like it's a panel. On the other hand, do I hear, I think Dafka, because I think this is a moment, a def, the defining moment for the Datsi Lumi world where I feel like the issue here is that people feel like you're tricking me. You're tricking me and you're dragging me over a red line into a place where I don't want to go. Um, and I have a lot of empathy for that. I don't. I, I think that when people don't stand their ground because they want to be nechman and they want to be nice and they want to micromanage and they want to think of the million and one excuses why in this case this particular case is not a case, people end up getting dragged um, in by in microscopic ways over lines and and they end up going too far. So at some point you do have to put your dig in your heels and put your you know draw that line in the sand. I would like it to be stated for the record that I still have no idea how you feel about it. Uh, but let's go to Johnny. Fair enough. Uh, we're coming back to you about this, Johnny. How do you feel? Okay, so do you feel I'll ask Johnny. I'll ask a lechachila and I'll ask a bidiyevet. I'll ask a lechachila and a bidiyevet. Lechachila, do you think it was appropriate for Benny Lau to invite Lucy Irish? And I'm going to assume he's a very smart man and knew exactly what he was doing to invite Lucy Irish to be the mancha, to be the 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 whatever it's called, the moderator at moderator. this panel at this one. And number two, after the bruaha, had you been invited? I don't know, accepted or whatever, would you then have said, no, I have to pull out of 929 because of it? Okay, I'll answer both those questions directly. Uh, I will take a few minutes, though, just to get there, because I want to touch on a number of, I think, important points. I want to talk briefly about 929, then I want to talk about Lucy, then I want to talk about that particular panel, and then I think perhaps you'll get an idea of where I stand. So first and foremost, 929 is a success. Now I say that uh, with, without sounding to, intending to sound either kind of judgmental or non you know, basically many projects in the Jewish world aren't that successful, especially when they are based around Torah or based around Tanakh or based around religion or based around study. 929 was a vision to give back the average Israeli public, the non religious Israeli public, a feeling of ownership of Tanakh. That was very clear from the outset, and it continued, and it's grown, and it's changed over the last 10 years. Because a project that lasts about a decade changes with the people it's trying to serve, because also the people who are writing for it are reflective of the people who are reading it. So, that's how 929 began. Ten years ago, Rav Benilau was also seen to be somebody slightly different in the religious Zionist world. He's become more uh, aligned with the most liberal of voices in orthodoxy. Ten years ago, he was not quite considered so liberal. He was slightly more centrist. Uh, that whether Or he was seen to be that way, whether or not he was, that's not really the point. So the organization has changed, and the voices involved the project have changed. But still, it was a huge conference. I watched uh, a number of clips ahead of our, of our sen uh, conversation today. And so you have a, a religious program that's lasted a good amount of time and is a success. And for the religious Zionist world, you look at this and you say, is this ours or not? You know, 
because originally a lot of the voices involved were aspects of the nine, uh, you know, the religious Zionist world, although certainly slightly more liberal voices. It was already known from the outset that there was going to be a certain edginess about this project in how certain talks, uh, stories are taught. And Amnon Bazak, in his most recent piece, said a, a number of them crossed, crossed the line. And we know over the last decade, some people have written quite critical pieces and taken quite a critical stunt on the project, which they totally can, and it makes complete sense, given where they stand. So... Before we get, begin by talking about Lucy and the panel, we need to ask ourselves, what is this project? Which is, it's a project about the average non-religious Israeli feeling connected to the Tanakh, which for a certain amount of time prior to this, they were feeling a sense of disconnect. Disconnect that Tanakh was not being featured in the average secular event where 30, 40 years ago it was. I think I've, previous, I've mentioned you know, 30-something uh, years ago, my secular Israeli cousin had a bat mitzvah. Everyone got a Tanakh and their verses re recited. When I was at the bar mitzvah of a cousin uh, just less than 10 years ago, almost no Tanakh was mentioned. So there's been trends in Israel and not good ones in terms of place of Tanakh, and Rav Benny has been trying to shift that. However, those voices and that means of presentation, the kind of media that it harnesses, don't always align with the slightly more, shall we say, right-wing or conservative uh, you know, uh, positions in the religious Zionist world. And that tension has always existed, and over time it's developed further because of the project, because of the population, and because of its authors. That's point number one. So there's 929 already has had lots of conversations around it, and it's changed. Point number two is, Lucy Harish wrote a post for 929 in 2015 as an Israeli Arab who has a good understanding of Jewish culture and living, who has been on the news for many, many years, and many times we've listened to her. We don't always agree with her, but many times we have. And so she authored a piece, in fact, about the Mishkan um, in, in 2015. She was an author for 929, and already for some years previously, she was attracted to the project. This is before, significantly before, she married Tzachia Levi. So you have an Israeli Arab who says, I too want to feel a connection to the Tanakh because I'm an Israeli. I see the Tanakh being the book of the Jewish people and I'm proud to be a citizen of the Jewish state. So you have, so that once you understand that and you know 929 is this project that's evolved over time. And Lucy Arish has been somebody who's been involved in the project for quite some time proudly way before she married Zachi Halevi. And then you look at the panel. What is a panel? It was a final panel of the day. It was an interfaith panel, okay? Let's be clear. You had a representative of Muslims, of Druze, of Jews, um, and of Arabs. Very, very transparent. Nothing hidden there. Very clear about its goals and the kind of conversation it wishes to have. And who is moderating it? Lucy Arish. So, if we want, we can say... As many people have said, she's Semelit Bololut, right? She is a, a symbol of assimilation. But one second, she was a fan of 929 way before she married Zachi Alevi. She wrote a piece way before. So to take that view, I think, is to be intellectually dishonest about both the project, her role in it, her pride of being a citizen of the Jewish state. So then it really becomes a question of notwithstanding her support of the project and involvement in the project and the evolution of the project and the tension involved in the project, should she still have been invited, given the fact that four years ago she married somebody Jewish, 
even though her commitment and her interest in 99 goes way back much further than that. And my general feeling is one shouldn't be seen to have anything to do with the other because her record speaks more volumes than her marriage. Now, you may well say, well, she said things about her marriage. And I say, I hear that. But also, what's the nature of this panel? The final one, there were many different panels. There wasn't a singular panel. This particular panel was about interfaith, was about how people of different uh, you know, faiths and backgrounds living here in Israel connect to the Tanakh, which kind of makes her a really interesting voice. Somebody who is very proudly Jewish, somebody, by the way, who is proudly what? by Palestinian... Sorry, very proudly Israeli. I'm sorry, it's a Freudian slip. Um, somebody who maybe, was, maybe a no, little too I'm, Freudian. Yeah, and you know, somebody who was injured by Palestinian terrorists by simply being a, a citizen of Israel. Somebody who, on the news, has spoken very firmly about Jewish values, and, and there's and that's she's on record many, many times. So it, it could it was it a, a a bad political move? Maybe I'm no you know political commentator. I said that before. But in terms of just looking at her and looking at what the panel was and looking at what the event was and looking at what 99 is, you know, you have to be an incredibly cynical person, I would actually say, to find fault in her solely because of who she's married to, because that negates the many other things that she brings to the table. So should somebody have whispered in Benny Lau's ear and said, you shouldn't do this? They probably did many times. And he probably said... But this is about Israelis. This is about a connection to the Book of Books. This is about, actually, Israeli society and not just the Jews therein. Because we want the state of Israel to be founded on Jewish values. We just spoke about the Hametz thing. And guess what? Not just Jews go into hospitals. So if we want people to care about these values, then surely we should be interested that not just Jews talk about some of them. And given Lucy's... Uh, you know, background, I can't make an absolute survey of every single thing she said. Sometimes I've heard her and I've been, it's been agreeable, sometimes not. But overall, I'd say if you're intellectually honest, it is justified. It probably even makes sense for her to have uh, moderated this panel. I'm not saying I'm, I'm not going out to defend it, but I'm saying there's a lot of logic behind it. And, and to not pay any attention to that, I think, is to misunderstand 929, is to misunderstand that particular panel, and it's misrepresent her, even though you may say it was not a smart move. Okay, so I'm going to sort of chime in and answer my own two questions. And shock of shocks to our listeners, I'm going to take a more conservative approach, small c, than, uh, than Harabjani, and uh, maybe Molly will tell us how she feels after I'm done. So... I think that a lot of this came from the the idea that this was a like especially as you said, Johnny, uh, a, a conference about the Tanakh, and the question is how far can you can you blow up that balloon? I mean, how international can you be? And in the religious sphere, we can understand. I could say yes, you know, we we, we the Tanakh is our book, and then you know the Muslims ostensibly in the Christian world. They also see it as an important religious book and they relate to it in that, in that sense. But that, that's not the question of whether you invite someone who's intermarried to moderate that panel. That's not the question. The, the question then becomes, like we call ourselves the people of the book, right? And when we say the people of the book... Actually, the Quran calls us, let's not forget. That. Okay, well, the world honest. calls us the people of the book. And when they say the people of the book, what they mean is 
And that we book. call ourselves that. We call ourselves Amasefer. Israelis yeah. certainly do. Uh, they, I, no, no, I'm not aware of that, but the origin of that of that yeah. term, it's important to be honest So then about that, that goes to the question of, right, what is, what is that book? I mean, is it a book, as you said, about Jewish culture and Jewish history? Or it is, a, it is, a, is it the essential book of our identity as a people, our story? It, it takes us back to who we are, our values, everything that we hold dear. I mean, between you and me, I think I happen to think the book is holy. It's not just a cultural book. It's not just a religious book. And I think one of the, one of the things that make people un, a little bit uncomfortable, and the reason why Herzog made its own 929, as Molly mentioned, I, just uh, full disclosure, I work for Michal and Herzog. I do not speak for them. I speak for me, okay, is, is exactly that point. It's because there's a limit beyond which someone can say, I teach Tanakh, when the Tanakh, it's my holy book. And we've had this, we've had very similar discussions with regard to Gemara. You know, it comes up all the time when we talked about TikTok Torah. This is my book. It's not just a book. It's not just an important book. It's not just a historical record or a story about kings. It's a story about mitzvot and values and Torah and Kedusha. And that's what makes us the people of the book. It's not because we read it, but it's because of who we're supposed to be. And so therefore, when you, yes, you want to bring it back to the Jewish people. But if you bring it back to the Jewish people, in such a, in such, I would say, an open-minded way, in such a, in such a non-committal way, that really belongs to everyone. It has all the values, and everyone can learn it in any way. Then at some point, you say to yourself, "That's not the book that I'm talking about. That's not my book. That's not the book that I want to represent." And and therefore, I think, like you know, like you said, John, I think you're right. Nine two nine has always sort of stretched the boundaries. But where's your line? At what point do you say, "No, no, wait a second. This is this is our book still." This is still my book. And even though I'm open and I understand you want to learn it in your way and this group will want to learn it in that way. Nonetheless, when I do my thing, like not, not a group that I don't agree with, when I do my thing, when I make my conference and when I, I do this central conference representing the Jewish people, what do I choose to highlight? And, and I don't think people were looking for a fight. I really don't. But I think they, they said to Rabbi Benny Lau, like, I can't. You know what I'm saying? We, we, we are... We do not agree, and I think justifiably so. And I think that there's, I would, I would have, I'm not invited to conferences, I'm not a big speaker, but I think I would have pulled out because I would have said no, because if I don't, then what does that say about how I relate to this book, how I relate to Tanakh, how I see people using my holy things? And now I can, on the one hand, encourage 929 to do the things that it does and to allow anybody to learn it in any way they want. But what do you do as the organizer? How do you see it? And if you take Rabbeinu at his word, it's not, we didn't even think about that with Lucy Irish. That's even more problematic. You know what I'm saying? That's al-chat kama v'kama. I just want to interrupt, and, and I think I was Yes, Johnny that, interrupted me. Uh, Go ahead, yeah. Right, no. <laughs> but, you, you, you know, you've, you've made an interesting point about what does it say about our book, but let's take a, an average scholar of Herzog, right? Nameless may they be. In the footnotes of some of their exceptional books on Tanakh, they're quoting non-Jewish scholars. No, not non-Jewish scholars, but they never, Johnny, yourself. they never forget, at least in, a, a, like, I would like to think, I'm not going to speak for Herzog again, I speak for me. They never forget. Yeah, I'm, I'm using Herzog as an example, Good. of course. I'm in not Herzog, we never forget, we never forget that the Tanakh is, is the Sefer HaShal Ha'am HaYehudi. It's not Ha'am HaYisraeli. It's the Jewish people. So you can find scholarship, I think that's the, you can find I, I scholarship, and you can find, but we use it specifically in order to bring out the Jewish national, religious, spiritual identity, all of those things. And when you forget that, and it becomes everybody's book, 
And the President of the United States is having a Seder because a Seder is just a night about freedom. It's not a night about Yitzhak Mitzrayim. It's not a night about Geulat Am Yisrael and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Then you've, you've universalized Jewish values to the point where they're meaningless. And that's where you say, Ad Khan. Mali. Yes, uh, I, 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 agree, I agree with a lot of what you said, Johnny. First of all, it reminds me of Rav Soloveitchik on confrontation. Johnny? Right? Or me? You, Ruby. Did I say Ah, you said Johnny. Another Freudian <laughs> said. <laughs> Thanks for a second there. No, I did actually... Johnny, you, you made a... a I'm not know? trying to... I'm not saying this is good or bad. I'm saying let's be, be honest okay. about what this is all about. I agree with you, but as you said, it's changed and it's been stretched and stretched and stretched. And there's Correct. a difference and, between... And I'm not saying I'm comfortable Again, with there's a difference now, between... But you have to see. There's a difference the between what, what let's say, what Michele Sapir will do with 929 and what Rabini Lau does with 929 with the president there in the central conference. That's what I'm saying. But Mali, we interrupted you. Okay, Johnny interrupted I, 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 It was reminding me, you know, when Salvechik was asked about interfaith dialogue, right? So he wrote a piece called Confrontation. And the bottom line was communication, right? Jew, Jew, Jewish Christian dialogue. Um, communication, wonderful, right? As long as you don't make me uh, subvert my religious principles, right? Like that's when you say Ad Khan. And I feel like here too, I feel like that's what people are saying is the Ad Khan. Like, you know, it's like, oh, well, Lucy Irish was great to represent Judaism before she intermarried. What's the difference after she intermarried? Because intermarriage is like the red line in the Tanakh. I think somebody made this point also. They're like, this is not like, you know, okay, so they don't keep Tariq mitzvos, right? Intermarriage is the red line of, of uh, for, for many about what it is to be the Jewish people. And I think that's By, the, by the way, it's also important to point out, in Israel, marriage is still a thing, which is really important to point out. Culturally, it's still a thing. And, and, and way, I'm not, don't take that for nothing. The issue, you know, all, all of the conversion issues are raging. This is, it's a, a live issue, this whole question of intermarriage. Correct. And like, it's big. It's bi- intermarriage is a big no-no in the Tanakh. Like, like you know, like there, 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 there are a few big no-nos. One of them is intermarriage, right? And again, so what, what are the solutions? Sometimes the solutions are more liberal than you might expect. So, so we'll just convert all the, you know, the wives. You know what I'm saying? But, but I'm just saying, intermarriage is a big deal. It's not, it's not like, oh... And know, Molly, numerous stories highlight it and decry it and uh, yeah, address it. Exactly. So my point is that, um, I, you know, I understand very... I understand why this would be a red line. And I, I also like... I, I, again, I am a conservative... I believe I do believe in Judeo-Christian values, and I do believe in Judeo-Christian dialogue. But I I, I, I agree with you, Ruby, that we ha- when we engage in the, in that type of conversation, and when we do say that that I I believe it. I believe the Western world was built on Judeo-Christian values. I think a lot of people who are not comfortable with that phrase, and they you know you know there's too much anti-Semitism stuck with Judeo-Christian. No, I don't think that's true. I think the Christianity grew out of Judaism, and I think we can be proud of what what it has what it had built for the world for many many years. And having said that, and I can still say I know where the lines are, and I know why I know why why Jews were willing to martyr themselves, and I know where those red lines are. And for many people, for many thinkers, one of those red lines is intermarriage, um, and 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 subsequent assimilation. And again, I feel bad, and this is why I, I don't know what I would say about the panel because I the poor Lucy Irish really just became a lightning rod, um, and I think everything Johnny described is correct about her, but she became a symbol. She became a symbol of, of something that for many people really isn't. Well, Molly, I don't know if I would say poor Lucy Irish because she's embraced the idea Seder. that she's embraced it. So Fair I don't enough. think it's so poor. Fair she's, enough. you know. I'm, I'm just saying, okay, I'm just saying my, my, my intuition is like, I don't know. I, I, I you know, whatever. I will leave, I will 
stop that sentence and just leave it there. Um, <laughs> really. But um, I think, well, no, but, uh, I, but I will say that, like, I do respect and understand why she, as a person, and, and again, I'll tell you why it's sensitive to me, because, like, I, I think, and I think, and I think this is why it was so sensitive and difficult for many people, because when you find a person who symbolizes all the wonderful things that Johnny said, you know, an Arab who is willing to um, um, have this very respectful, open dialogue um, and, and, and wants to be part of Israeli society, because that's another red, really red flashpoint in Israel. And as we know, we're, we're in another wave of terrorism. And, the, and you know, I think last year's, um, um, you know, in Israeli Arab riots raised this question for a lot of people, right? This whole question of like, how do how do Israelis what do, how do how do we relate to our Arab minority? And so Lucy Irish is like somebody she's like exactly the person that we want to be dialoguing with, right? She's she's somebody who's okay, Ruby's but but at least there's dialogue. I don't have to agree with everything she says, but she's she's willing to 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 um, to engage with the issues, right? And I think people are very hesitant to kind of shut that down. And I think that's also part of this. Like people are un- uncomfortable wanting to shut down a person like that. Um, but I, I, I think that again, for me, the reason why I, I'm definitely leaning on the Ruby side of this argument are because I do think there's a really it, like Johnny. If we can't say that we have red lines, Ruby's right. Like y- y- you have to stand for y- y- well, what's the expression? He who will, won't stand for something will will fall for anything. Whatever the expression is, you have to stand for something. And so like I, I really appreciate. The, the rabbis who are like, this is where I'm taking my stand, and I understand why this is an issue where they would take their stand. And again, I believe that part of this is also a statement by um, middle of the road, conservative middle of the road, and then, you know, sort of tipping towards the, to the more open liberal-minded people who are saying, you know what, you push us and you push us and you push us, and we, never, we, we don't want to be lo naim, and we always want to be open and we always want to be loving and um this felt like a in hebrew the word is mechtaf right this they felt like you snuck this one out under me and it's not right and i'm and at a certain point i'm also going to take a stand and so it's not just about the the issue itself it's also about the principle of being allowed to take a stance i really do believe that even if that's not consciously what's happening i think 100 percent it's happening I would I would actually say, firstly, I, I, we're not disagreeing. Secondly, Lucy Irish would be the first person to say people should take a stance, a moral stance. She's been doing it on the news for years. Nobody's suggesting that if people are uncomfortable, they should be silenced. This is not about cancel culture. This is about something that some people are deeply uncomfortable with and have expressed their opinions. What you neither of you have alluded to directly is Rav Yuval Shalo, who you mentioned, yeah, is on the panel. But then he addressed this I know, point himself. I know, and I didn't himself. see it because it was. Right. An, I was like, okay, I can listen to this hour. To it was an hour long, and it was too. It was hard to hear. It was too close. <laughs> well, to, the, and again, his, ma- his was main one of my points heroes, were in the first. You know what I mean? So you can tell us right. what he said. His main points were in the first five minutes, in which oh, he made so it very well. clear that you know intermarriage, you know, is is a real, you know, hmm. anguish. It's a real pain. It's a it's a disaster for the Jewish people, but to direct that. On to Lucy Arish, who, let's be clear, isn't the Jew who intermarried, right? right. That's another good point. <laughs> right. She's so not that's, the that's, she, she didn't do anything wrong. It's not directed at her. So, it's directed at Benny Lau. Right, and, and, he, and he was making that clear. But, but I... Um, Wait, but he still went to the panel. He left yeah. early because he had to go to a wedding. That's a point, I'm saying. He was what on was the panel. What was his argument? And then what, yeah, what was his explanation it? for why yeah. he went? 
Listen, if Sherlock is, is a guy who will talk anywhere, and, but what, what was, did he explain the principle? Why he wanted, I was, I, I, I was only watched the first few minutes in which he said, I, I, I'm happy for our listeners to listen and uh, let yeah. us know their thoughts. Um, I think that he was very transparent about trying to address this issue as to why he went and, and uh, why he felt that it was worthwhile. Nevertheless, first and foremost, we do need to distinguish between a moderator and a panelist. You know, moderators there to ask the panelists their opinion. So we're speaking as if she was invited as a panelist. Actually, that's not the case. Mm -hmm. She was invited as a moderator, and I think it's a different tough key. Uh, and, and thirdly, I want to go back to Ruby's distinction because I think it's important. Because the way 99 has become, and I'm not saying I'm comfortable with it in no way, I'm simply being honest about seeing how this organization has developed. And to pretend otherwise is to kid yourself. It has deliberately become a more Israeli uh, in a project which it's trying to invite a range of voices, it, not exclusively Jewish, by virtue of this particular panel being the greatest of evidence. There was nothing hidden about it. And I would say one final thing, which was uh, when this uh, event took place, by that point, two of the terrorist activities that we as a people have suffered here in Israel had taken place. And, and this is nothing to do with Lucy. I'm not trying to relink it. I don't think it has any necessary relationship. But it was heartening that the imam who was sitting on the panel began by saying, I just want to say that that pains me and that's wrong. And you may well say, well, obviously. Well, actually, it may well be obvious, but how many times do we hear that being said other than within the kind of politicized conversations that we often uh, get a window in in the news? So there, there is something to be said about that panel. There's something to be said about the being the role of moderator versus being a panelist. And I think... Uh, it's worthwhile listening to what uh, of Sherlock said himself and also noting that there's a difference between uh, Lucy Arish and Sachi Alevi and uh, let, let's not shoot necessarily the messenger who would be the first to say you need to speak up for your morals and your and your values. Okay, we're going to leave it here. Johnny, before we break, as we're, we're taking a break, we're, this is our last recording before Pesach, uh, you had an idea or a thought about Pesach that you wanted to share with us. I did. Okay, I'll tell you a quick, quick idea. Yeah, you did. Remember, um, you suggested it. <laughs> I suggested it, and then I forgot about it a second just before we start recording. Yeah, but Johnny's got a Pesach, on, like, his, Johnny's got Pesach on the tip of his tongue. Uh, it, it's just an idea that I, I saw in, as, as an idea written by Rav Meir, the son of the uh, Vilna Gon, but I know other people mention it. It's a very beautiful idea. The Torah refers to Pesach as Chagamatzot, and we refer to Pesach as Pesach. And Rav Meir, the son of the, the Vilna Gon, this is printed in the back of Malas Torah, says something so lovely. It's that Kodesh Baruch Hu attributes a festival to the deeds we did, which is Matzah. We attribute the festival to the protection God gave us, Chag Pesach. And I just find that lovely, that meaning just how we refer to the Chag is all about giving credit to the other. And it's all about recognizing that we wouldn't have been able to do it without Kodesh Baruch Hu and Kodesh Baruch Hu doing it for us. It just warms my heart. A sweet idea. Chag Sameach. A beautiful way to finish. Molly, you wanted something to add or you're good? I'll just, I'll just add that, you know, the fact that we read Shira Shirim uh, strengthens Johnny's point where it's about um, the mutual love between Am Yisrael and Chadash Baruch Okay. Well, I think we'll stop it here. I want to thank Molly Brabski, Rav Johnny Solomon, and thank our listeners for their active participation and involvement, sharing their ideas and thoughts. We'll be back right after Yantav is over. After Yantav is over at some point with a new edition of RZ Weekly. Everyone should have a chag, a share, this moment. I know.